It's your name that we pray. Well, good morning, church. Let's take our Bibles and let's go to John chapter 14, Gospel of John chapter 14. How exciting is it this morning to see baptism, amen? It's a, uh, as, as one of us both shared, it's a proclamation of the gospel. It's, a, it's not only a proclamation of what Jesus has done for us. He died, he was buried, and on the third day he rose. But it's a proclamation of what happens to every believer in Christ. They died to an old life, they're buried with Christ, and they're raised to walk in in newness of life. That's the gospel. The gospel is not only what Jesus did for me 2,000 years ago, it's what he has done in me now, in my life, and what he continues to do. And how awesome is it to sing about the blood of Jesus, right? Not, not really popular anymore, right? Blood, really? Yeah, it's what washes us, it's what saves us, and it is what the Bible teaches us, speaks on our behalf. Jesus, by his blood, speaks on our behalf even now. John chapter 14, the next three weeks... We're going to be walking through a series talking about the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Now, you're asking, like, why is this? Is, is May like a month for y'all where it's like just random days? You celebrate, I mean, and, and, and with purpose though, right? Because Mother's Day is not random. Some of you already tuned me out, right? We, we celebrate our mothers, and we celebrate our graduates. And, but it seems like on the, the, the month of May, we know there's three or four days we're going to celebrate. Graduation Day, Mother's Day, Memorial Day, and whatever. Some of you have, a, your kids are moving out because they graduated high school. You have another celebration day for that. But it seems as if May is a month of days for us. And oftentimes, y'all, guess what we miss out? in all of our days. We miss out, for the most part, in our calendar of May, in most years, we miss out on two huge, important days to us. I don't know if you know this, but this past Thursday was 40 days after Easter, which to us Christians, the, the Scripture teaches us what happened 40 days after Easter. Jesus ascended back to the Father. So what that means is, next Sunday is 50 days after Easter. Guess what it is? It's Pentecost. We forget that often, don't we, in the midst of our May celebrations, the realities of the gospel that Jesus went back to the Father. He sat down as Lord of all, and 10 days later, what did he do? He poured out the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit and his power came upon the apostles. And so the next Three weeks, we're going to walk through who's the Holy Spirit. And Justin, next week on Pentecost Sunday and then on May 30th is going to apply the work of the Spirit. Can I just say this morning that we as believers need the Holy Spirit, that we as a church need the Holy Spirit, and let's just be honest, we don't need the, the Holy Spirit just to go across the world and preach the gospel, although we do. We, we just don't need the Holy Spirit to accurately represent Christ in our community. We just don't need the Holy Spirit to be a godly father, a godly mother, a godly husband. Y'all need the Holy Spirit when you go to Walmart and Dollar General, right? 16th Avenue now? We need 10 lanes. Chick-fil-A drive-thru. They were just going through the construction. It was a life chaos. Chick-fil-A took longer than what I thought it was supposed to take, Right? And let's be honest, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is a doctrine, the person of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit is sometimes neglected 
among us because we see abuses, things done in his name that are not of him. But just because we're scared of wildfire doesn't give us the right to live as believers and as a church in a, in a deep freeze, right? <laughs> and so what we've done is, although we may say we believe in the Holy Spirit, those of us as Americans, independent Americans, we have this air of self-confidence about us, and what happens is it flies over into our Christian walk and our life, and it flows over into our church where we look around and everything we do, we're trusting self, 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 and we neglect the one that God has given us to be all that Jesus died for us to be. And so what we're going to do this morning, let's start here. In John 14, we're going to read a couple verses in 14, one verse in 15, and one verse in 16, and then over the, the next three weeks, especially the next two weeks, Justin's going to unpack an application. So I'm kind of laying the doctrinal foundation this morning, answering this question, who is the Holy Spirit? John chapter 14, where this is falling in the gospel of John, this is what we call the upper room discourse. Remember around Easter, several times... Justin, and then I preached one Sunday about the upper room the night before the cross, the washing of the feet, the, the institution of the Lord's Supper. John says that Jesus went on after those events that same night, and he taught his disciples, and it, it kind of culminates in chapter 17 where John records this, this high priestly prayer, Jesus pouring out his, his heart to the disciples, or to the Father on behalf of the disciples, and for us too. But in chapters 14, 15, and 16 of what we call this upper room discourse, Jesus' teaching, Jesus starts laying out to them, hey, I'm going to go. I've got to go. Now's the time for me to be glorified. I've got to die, and I'm going to be buried, and I'm going to rise again. Seems like they forgot that last part, right? But I'm going to send someone. The Father's going to send someone, and his name is Holy Spirit. Let's just read a few verses in John. John chapter 14 Verses 15 through 17, and we'll just read through these, so just uh, follow along with me. John 14, 15 through 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Go down to verse 26. Of John 14, John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Go to chapter 15, verse 26. Chapter 15, verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And then in chapter 16, Chapter 16, verse 6. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. A few more verses there on, uh, on what the Holy Spirit does. Justin, we'll get to those in the next two weeks. So we have before us Jesus speaking of someone which is pretty cool. He's going to ask the Father. The Father's going to send this person. And then Jesus says he's going to send this person called Holy Spirit. A lot said about the Holy Spirit these days. The Scripture, interestingly enough, uses several terms to refer to the Holy Spirit. He's called the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Eternal Spirit, the Helper, 
The Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the Son, the Spirit of the Father, the Spirit of life, the Spirit of grace, the Spirit of prophecy, as we just read, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of holiness, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. It seems like He's the Spirit of everything God, yes. In the Scripture also, He's symbolized by water, wind, fire, oil, a dove, and a few other examples. So what do we do scripturally with the person of the Holy Spirit? Who is he? Now I want you to notice the first verse that I read, go back because we'll mainly now be in John 14, 15 through 17. It's pretty odd that Jesus says, okay, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. And then he jumps off into Holy Spirit. So like, okay, one side, you're moving on really quick. Like, why didn't you elaborate? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. For many people, they say they love Jesus. They, they, they express emotional sentiment towards Jesus. That's not what it means to love Jesus. Jesus says love is equated with obedience. To love in the biblical sense is to give one's life away and to honor someone to the point that your will bows to who they are and therefore you obey. But you notice what he's saying is, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, here's, here's the just rubber meets the road in the Christian life. You ever been there feeling like you can't obey? Like what Jesus asked me to do, like I tried that and I fell on my face and I tried it again and I fell on my face. And so, you know what? I, I want to love Jesus. It just seems like I just can't follow and obey as I'm called to. Good news, y'all. We don't stay in verse 15. Jesus lays out in verse 16 and 17 whom he's going to send us to empower us and enable us to love him and keep his commandments. That's why he would say later on, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. It's not up to you to raise yourself as a Christian. It's not up to you to kind of this, you know, self-help morality, pull myself up by my bootstraps and kind of just try to make it through the Christian life. What we find is is that Jesus is encouraging these guys that have a track record of failure. Hey, I'm going to give you someone who's going to enable you to love me and keep my commandments. Who is that person? It is Holy Spirit. Five big truths today about the Holy Spirit. Big truth number one, which we have to start here. The Holy Spirit is a distinct person. Michael Trest and I used to spend our teenage years watching Star Wars. We were there in Sawmill Square Mall in May of 1999. This is pre-dawn in his life. I know some of you can't imagine that. I was Michael's boy before he was Don's husband. Midnight, we were there watching something that tried to be called a Star Wars movie. The Phantom Menace, it wasn't. But Michael and I were those guys. I'm Luke. I was predestined to be a Jedi. That's just the way it works. And we were these Star Wars guys. Well, any of you Star Wars junkies out there know that there's, there's no personality attached to the Force. The Force just kind of comes and goes and kind of helps whoever. And some of y'all are way deeper than me. That's, I'll just stop there, right? The Holy Spirit is not the Christian Force. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal influence or power or just kind of something not 
tangible. The scripture clearly tells us that the Holy Spirit is a person. And what I mean by that is not flesh and bones. He is a personality. Notice what Jesus says. Verse 16, I will ask the Father. So see how we already got Trinity going here? This is so awesome. I, the second person, will ask the first person. And guess what? He's going to send another person. And he is going to be with you forever. And his name's the spirit of truth and the world can't receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Don't want to dive too much into this, but when you go to the Greek, those are actually neuter pronouns. And so sometimes they are actually incorrectly translated as it. And so sometimes even in our lives, we can refer to the Holy Spirit as it. Why does the Bible translate here him in the masculine? Why does it do that? Well, you got to understand what's going on in Greek. You, you have to say, uh, if we were literally to translate it, it would say it because referring to the spirit, the spirit is a neuter noun, so in Greek they have to match. But you know what we find five times as we walk through John 4, 14, 15, and 16? Jesus five times in the Greek says, he, 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 he. And because the Father is always revealed in a masculine personality, and because the Son is masculine, guess what? The one they send is going to be just like Father and Son, He. And when we read throughout the Scripture, we find the Holy Spirit not being some influencer, some impersonal influencer. We find the Holy Spirit first speaking. He spoke to Philip. With the Ethiopian eunuch, it wasn't the son that said to Philip or the father that said to Spirit. The Spirit said to Philip, go up to that chariot and share with that eunuch. What's even incredible, in Acts 13, this church is, is praying. They had, like a, they had like an A team. They had like Barnabas and Paul on staff. Like that's nuts, okay? And they're like listed last, so there was like three or four other dudes there. And the Holy Spirit in the middle of the worship, he says, hey, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to the work to which I've called them. It's incredible, y'all. The Spirit. He speaks in Scripture. He calls and sins in Scripture. He decides. He wouldn't let Paul go into a region. He's like, I don't want you going there. You're going to go this way. This way. He forbids. He wills. The, the Bible says all the spiritual gifts that we have as believers, guess who gave them to us? The Holy Spirit did as he decided. He teaches. We read that in John 14. He can be sinned against, Acts chapter 5. He can be quenched or grieved. He has feelings. He has emotions. He's the one that makes us new. We celebrated baptism, and what did the, the T-shirt say? All things new. You know who does the regenerating work when someone is born again? The Spirit of God. He does that. He helps us in our weaknesses, Romans says. He intercedes for us when we pray. We don't know how to, how to pray as we ought, so who prays for us? The Spirit of God. He assures us that we're believers. He testifies of Christ. He glorifies Jesus. He convicts of sin. He guides in all truth. And the Bible even says that the Holy Spirit has fellowship with us. You can't do all those things if you're an impersonal it. But all those things are carried out by the Spirit of God because He is just as much a personality as God the Father and God the Son. Now, why is this important? Why is this important? Because when we come 
to the person of the spirit, we are not dealing with someone that we can just kind of shove aside. That, that is suggesting maybe an opinion or just, you know, let, let's just be influenced. You're dealing with someone. You can't get around that, that the spirit of God is someone. Why is this important? Back to verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. How awesome is it that God doesn't give us a force or an influence or a power? God gives us himself in the Spirit of God. You got to watch this in your conversation. When you're referring to the Holy Spirit, you might say it. Don't beat yourself up. Just say, time out. Let's replace that pronoun with he because it gives honor to who the scripture reveals the spirit of God to be. Second big point this morning, I want you to see even more importantly, the Holy Spirit is fully God. He is fully God. Again, back in verse 16, I, Christ, will ask the Father and he will give you, underline this word, another helper. Cool word there in the Greek. In the Greek language, you have really two words to describe another object. You've, you've got one word that says, here's an object and here's another object. So uh, let, let's see, maybe, maybe a, uh, a water bottle, a real pure natural spring water from Silver Springs, Florida. This is one object and then there is a, another object. I won't touch that, it's costly and important. So one object, another object, okay? Two different objects, not the same at all, right? It's not the word he uses here. Jesus says... I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you someone else. And that other person that he gives you is going to be just like me. Different person, same God. Different person, same God. The doctrine of the Trinity. God exists eternally in three persons. One God, three persons. If you could explain it, he wouldn't be God, okay? Rest in that. But he says here, this one to come, he will be just like me. How do we know the Holy Spirit is God? Scripture tells us that he's God. Acts chapter 5, this husband and wife named Ananias and Sapphira decided to, to lie. <laughs> they sold a piece of property and in order to, to kind of a little popularity within the church, they brought the money to the apostles. And they said, hey, you know, we sold this land and we're giving this money and I don't know what they sold it for. Let's just say they, they sold it for 20 grand. So they pocketed 20 grand. Well, they come up and they say, here's all the money from the sale. Behind the way, they were saying, ah, you know what we'll do? We'll, we'll keep half of it or three quarters of it and we'll just act like this is all of it. And so they come before, and, and <laughs> Peter, the Lord revealed to him and he called their bluff. He's like, hey, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? Uh-oh, stuff's about to happen. Why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? Why have you said you're offering all and yet keeping most of it for yourself? Wow, that's application, isn't it? Guess what happened? Guess how the church service started that day? Two people fell dead. I'm not saying we practice that. I'm just <laughs> awkward, right? But, but this is what Peter says. Peter says, the next verse, you have not lied to men, but you have lied to God. The Holy Spirit's God. 
He's not someone that we try to influence. He's someone that we submit to, that we worship. He's involved in the act of creation. Genesis 1-2, the Spirit of God brooded over the waters. We're told in 2 Peter that it was the Spirit of God that moved men to, to write and speak prophecy in the Scriptures. And he's God. We're called to obey him. One time in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit speaks to Peter and he says, I want you to do this. And Peter does it. The example I used earlier from Acts 13. Church at Antioch, I want you to do this. And they did. What does this mean for us? The Holy Spirit is our God. And he's just as much the God of Christianity as God the Father and God the Son. I don't even know if this is a word, but can we just admit sometimes that we're not Trinitarian, we're Binitarian? We only really believe in two persons of the Trinity? We would never say we deny the Holy Spirit. We, we would never do, but I mean, practically. Justin used a term a couple weeks ago that sometimes the Holy Spirit is kind of viewed as the, the stepchild of the Trinity. And for, for us, many times, it's because we've seen abuses that have been done in his name. Most of that junk on, quote, Christian television, number one, it's not Christian. And number two, you know, all that crazy stuff that's done in the name of the Holy Spirit, like that's not of the Spirit. And we'll see why in just a minute. The, the, the way you can know whether something's of the Spirit or not is Jesus exalted, is Jesus glorified, is sin dealt with. Because the Holy Spirit comes not to promote himself. He comes to promote Christ. And so we can neglect the Spirit, but He's God. He should be worshiped as God. Fourth century creed from the church fathers who many were persecuted and imprisoned, fighting over, fighting for the deity of the Son and the deity of the Spirit. Listen to what this creed says. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. And with the Father and the Son, He is to be worshipped and glorified. I want to be a Christian that holds the Holy Spirit to be God because that's what biblical Christianity says. What does that mean in our life practically though? Are we thinking of the Spirit when we think of God? Are we thinking of the Spirit when we worship God? Are we honoring the Spirit when we think about obeying God, he is fully God. Big point, big truth number three this morning, I want you to see. He's the paraclete. What? He's a what? He is the paraclete. Notice in verse 16, and I'll ask the Father and he will give you another. Now, based off your English translation, you're going to have different words here. ESV says helper, NASB says helper, maybe King James or New King James say counselor or comforter. Why all the English words? Some of your Bibles say helper, is that right? Some, so usually it's advocate, helper, counselor, comforter, help, or, um, yeah, all those. Why, why are there all these English words? Because there's really no English word that pegs the translation properly. The Greek word parakletos literally came from two other words that meant someone who is summoned to the side of another. It was used in, sometimes in Greek legal system 
It was used as a legal assistant or an advocate or someone that came alongside to plead on behalf of another. Sometimes in defense, you're guilty, so guess what? Somebody comes along and you can't convince or you can't represent yourself, so someone comes and they represent you. That's a paracletos. Sometimes it's someone that's sent on behalf of someone else and they plead for whoever sent them. The word comforter and counselor, really not the best Helper or advocate is probably the best translation. But what we don't want to get in our minds is that the Holy Spirit's kind of like our, our little assistant that comes and, and helps us. We, we don't want to entertain that when we talk about how he is, is a helper. Let's get it really straight. The Holy Spirit is in charge of me. I'm not in charge of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So what does this mean? Now notice what he says. Again, I told you earlier to underline that word, another. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. So Jesus is saying, whatever this parakletos or this paraclete is, I'm also one. So Jesus is saying, My role is a paraclete. And the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he's going to be another paraclete. He's going to be just like me, not only in nature, but he's going to be just like me in function. Now think about who Jesus had been to the disciples. Jesus came to them. They weren't standing on the beach saying, yo, I'd make a good disciple. Jesus came to them. And let's be honest, Jesus picked the absolute worst group of people to change the world in the history of the world, right? First off, you don't like bring same family in because then you get family drama. So Jesus says, not only will I bring one set of brothers in, I'll bring two sets of brothers. And not only will I bring two sets of brothers, they're business partners. So one third of the disciples already have family drama and business drama. Okay, Jesus, you don't know what you're doing. Then you bring in a zealot who's like a government conspiracy guy that always has, he's always packing. You never know whether it's going to be friendly fire or enemy fire. You know what I'm talking about? And then beside the zealot, you, you bring in a traitor who's a, who's a tax collector for the Romans named Matthew. What are you doing? But what do we find over three years? Jesus pulled these men to himself. He molded them. He was patient with them. He taught them. He encouraged them. He empowered them. He critiqued them. They came back from mission. Jesus, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Uh-uh, I saw Satan get prideful like that, and he fell from heaven. Don't be like that. He'd call them out. One time he called Peter Satan. (laughs) He dealt with them. He nurtured them. He led them. But he's saying, hey guys, now my time with you is limited. So I'm going to go back to the Father and then I'm going to send someone else who is going to be for you even in a greater way all that I was to you while I was with you. Another helper. This word parakletos is used five times, only in John. Spoken of Christ once. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have a parakletos with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous, who's not only the propitiation for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. What this says is, is that when Jesus went back, guess what he did? He went back to plead my case before the Father. He came to represent me to the Father. You know why you can be forgiven today and tomorrow when you sin? Just get ready, it's coming. Guess who pleads on your behalf? Guess why there's no wrath remaining? 
Guess why you're no, no longer under condemnation? Because you have a parakletos with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So Jesus went up to plead our, on our behalf to the Father. But so, so how is the Holy Spirit? This is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit has come to bring the Father's agenda and will to your heart. He has come to represent the Father's will to you. So that you're just not scrounging all the time. What's God want me to do? What's God want me to do? What's... You have the word and you have the spirit. So you know what God's called you to do. The spirit is given to us to represent God to us. He's come to make everything of God real to us. Why in the world then would we neglect this person called the Holy Spirit? It's a lengthy quote, but I want to read you a quote from a book in 1937. Now I know you're really excited. Called The Way to Pentecost. Just, just listen to how prophetic it is. The blunders and disasters of the church are largely, if not entirely, accounted for by the neglect of the Spirit's ministry and mission. The church still has a theology of the Holy Ghost, but the church has no living consciousness of his presence and power. Theology without experience is like faith without works. It's dead. But the church is the creation of the Holy Spirit. The church is a community of believers who owe their entire spiritual life to the Holy Spirit from first to last. Born of the Spirit. Sanctified by the Spirit. Indwelt by the Spirit. And so in the church, the Spirit has never abdicated his authority or relegated his power. The church that is man-managed instead of God-governed is doomed to failure. A ministry that is college-trained but not spirit-filled works no miracles. It is possible to excel in mechanics and fail in dynamic. There is a superabundance of machinery. What is wanting is power. To run an organization needs no God. Man can supply the energy, the enterprise, and the enthusiasm for things human, but the real work of the church depends on the power of the Spirit. Scholarship is blind to spiritual truth until the Spirit reveals. Worship is idolatry until He inspires. Preaching is powerless if it be not a demonstration of His power. Prayer is vain unless He energizes. When the church is run on the same lines as a circus, there may be crowds, but there will be no Shekinah glory. The root trouble of the present distress is that the church has more faith in the world in the flesh than in the Holy Ghost, and things will not get better until we depend on His presence and His power. Wow. God's given us this paraclete to be for us, in us, who Jesus was among the first century disciples. He's the paraclete. Fourth this morning, notice what Jesus calls him in verse 17. He is the spirit of truth. He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, you know him. He's called the Spirit of Truth, and what an appropriate, what an appropriate title for, for the Holy Spirit. We can know where the Spirit of God is at work, because where the Spirit of God is at work, it corresponds to the work of the Spirit. He. The work of the Spirit corresponds to truth. 
Scripture tells us that Scripture is God-breathed. Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit is ultimately the author of Scripture. Scripture proceeds from him. He spoke to the prophets. He spoke to the apostles. Scripture tells us that he reveals truth. Scripture tells us that he explains truth. John told these early Christians in 1 John, he said, listen, all these teachers say that you you need to be taught and you need to be taught and what they're bringing you is not truth. Listen, you don't need anybody to teach you because you have the spirit of God. Now, pastors are, are important and people speaking our life important. And I listen to dudes like John MacArthur and other guys. It's great to have great Bible teachers, but you know what this is saying? You could be, what this means is our brothers and sisters across the world who don't have access to the enormity of spiritual resources we have, they can wake up in the morning with their Bible, open it up. And in a spirit of prayer, they can be taught by God himself. How awesome is that? He teaches truth. Jesus says, in this upper room discourse, that the Spirit reminds us of truth. I was so thankful for that playing football at Southern Miss. Many times in the locker room, situation would present itself, and guess what? Verse comes to mind. And it was probably King James because growing up at Highland, I memorized my Bible drill verses in King James. I love old King. King ain't, king ain't on it, the king ain't in it, right? You know, that's what people say. Whithersoever, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, right? But you know what? What we find is throughout our life, we, we sometimes don't have uh, the opportunity to go to a concordance or pull out an app, but in the moment, guess what happens? The Spirit of God gives us truth to share. That's his ministry. The Spirit of truth, he guides us in all truth. And the Bible even says he sanctifies us with truth. Don't be botched up into this idea that the Spirit of God will tell you things that go against what the Bible says. There's a movement today. In many places, all this, quote, new revelation, new revelation. Look, just go back to the Scripture, and you'll find something so old that if somebody actually obeyed it, it'd be new for the world. Good friend of mine lives in India and the U.S., Great big ministry. Josh Nowell has, has been there with me to, to preach in his place in North India. He was in the U.S., and because he cares for orphans and widows and, and lepers in India, he was asked on one of these, like, TBN shows, you know, crazy type. So he went because he was wanting to share the gospel, right? I mean, you know, open your mouth, share the truth. So he, he's sitting there, and he does the interview, and so they ask him at the end, they said, Dr. Thomas, is there anything you would like to share with our audience before we let you go. <laughs> Bold dude. He looks at the camera and he goes, any word from the Holy Spirit of God that is not in line with the word of God is not from God. Let me say it again. Any word you say is from the Spirit of God that isn't in line with the word of God is not of God. Awesome. True, right? What the Spirit says corresponds to Scripture. So he's walking off set, and coming out of the green room is Benny Hinn. Another awkward moment, right? Here we go. <laughs> Benny Hinn says, Dr. Thomas, I really didn't appreciate that, that last comment you made. And he said, have a great day, Benny. He walked on, right? You know why he's called the Spirit of Truth? Because everything that he does in our life experientially matches what he has already said he will do in our life objectively in Scripture. 
He is the spirit of truth. How awesome is it that our relationship with God is not just bound up in a book, that it's lived out in flesh, and yet we have a filter and a standard to judge by what's going on in our life by what? Scripture. So if God comes and you say, hey, God said something to me, the first question is, okay, chapter and verse, tell me. Like chapter and verse, let's, let's walk through that. Let, let's walk, let's, let's think through that. The Spirit of God does speak to us. And we can be confident that when he speaks to us, it's in line with Scripture. Last big truth this morning. The Holy Spirit lives in every believer. Verse 17, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. He dwells with you and he will be in you. The world can't receive this spirit because it doesn't love Jesus. It doesn't obey Jesus. And so notice that it's not because of who the disciples are So they have merited the indwelling of the Spirit. No, Jesus says, I've set my love upon you, so because I love you, I'm going to go to the Father. Because you're related to me, I'm going to go to the Father, and I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you the Spirit. In the Old Testament, God did not live in people. There's a few exceptions. Joseph, or I'm sorry, Joshua is mentioned, Ezekiel, maybe Joseph, maybe Daniel, a few of the prophets. It was not a normative experience. But, But think about Old Testament Think about when Israel camped, 12 tribes, and they all camped in in, uh, three to the north, three to the west, three to the east, three to the south. What was right in the middle of the camp? It was the tabernacle. What was in the tabernacle? It's God's presence, right? And so even in the Old Testament, if you were to fly an airplane over, Craig was flying his, his plane over, and we looked down on the camp of Israel, what would we see? We would see the people of God who was dwelling in the heart of the people of God. It was God's presence. See that? So in the New Testament, because of Jesus and his death and his burial and his resurrection, guess now what happens? It is now normative at the moment of conversion that every child of God is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And God says, that's my people and I live in them. That's my disciple, so I live in them. That's my son, that's my daughter. And so as proof of that, I'm gonna send my spirit into them. Notice what it says at the end of verse 16. I'll give you another helper to be with you next week for a month. Because in the Old Testament, what did God do? He, sometimes he came on people and sometimes he left people. But what the spirit of truth, this paraclete, this distinct person who's fully God, he's going to be with disciples forever. God's not, God, God doesn't give something and then take it back. Now, why is this important? This is where we're going to start landing this. I hope you realize right now that although you have not seen the Red Sea split, you have not seen mighty plagues in Egypt, you haven't had visions and dreams like the prophet Ezekiel, you haven't seen the glory of God pass by as Moses did as he was hit in the rock, You haven't seen all these mighty, possibly huge manifestations. We read it out in the Old Testament. Old Testament, maybe it's just embellished, all these crazy stories. Did it really happen? This morning, you are more blessed than every person that lived in the Old Testament because God himself has come to permanently reside in you if you're a believer. 
Well, how come there's not Red Sea parting? And how come there's not sky opening? And how come we don't have like Samson 2.0 walking around? It's not God's purposes. God's purpose is to make you like Jesus in the humdrums of life, in the roller coasters of life, in the difficulties of life, in the greatness of life, in the cold December of life, in the 75 degrees unique South Mississippi May we're experiencing this year of life. God's ultimate purpose is not for you to see signs and wonders. God's ultimate purpose is to make you like Jesus and the spirit of God has been given to make you like Jesus. So, so where do we go from here? Let me just quickly build a bridge to how Justin's going to walk through the rest of this. What happened to the disciples? Because the disciples are unique because they lived on both sides of the cross. We, we don't. We, we look back and we're like, he died and he was buried and he rose again. A couple verses I want to point you to. What happened to the disciples? When did the Holy Spirit come to live in them? Divided, I'll be honest with you, there's some, a lot of people that love God divided on this, but there's a verse that we have in John chapter 20, verse 22. It says, post-resurrection, this is actually Easter Sunday, and Jesus appears to his disciples, and this is what the text says. When he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Some Bible scholars think at this exact moment, the Spirit of God came into the disciples. This is when they were indwelled. Some people think it, that the Spirit didn't indwell them until Pentecost. I'm kind of the, the former. I think this word here is a command, like take in the Holy Spirit. It's a picture of what God did to Adam. He breathed into him and he became a living being. It's a picture of what Elijah did to the widow's son in 1 Kings. He breathed on him and the son came back to life. It's a picture of Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones, Wind, fill these dry bones, bring them to life. And so Christ here breathes on them and he says, receive, take in the Holy Spirit. The disciples were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And what I mean is, as a Christian, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has his presence where? In us. This is unique to Christians, normative for Christians. If you have not the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. And so we see the disciples here receiving, believing, being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But next Sunday's Pentecost. And there's another verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit, notice, has come not in you, but when he has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. So the disciples were indwelt by the Spirit. They had an inward work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lived in them, but what we find in Acts over and over again, and Justin's going to get into this in the coming weeks, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And we miss this sometimes, y'all. We're so thankful that he lives in us, but we don't realize that what he wants to continually do in our life is to fill us and control us and empower us so that we can be what he's called us to be. So the next two weeks, we're going to walk through what it means that he lives in us and what can it mean that he would come upon us and control us and fill us so that we can be his witnesses.
when I was at Southern Miss, I went into Jeff Bauer's office one day, my, my coach, and I said, hey, coach, I need to miss summer workouts. Why do you need to miss summer workouts? Well, I, I need to go to Africa and be a missionary in, in a country. And like, coach didn't blink. He's like, okay. Like, I was like, man, that's the easiest way to get out of summer workouts of all time. Found myself flying over West Africa, over the Sahara Desert, headed to the fourth poorest country in the world called Burkina Faso. And earlier that spring, an older minister had given me a copy of a book on the Holy Spirit. Now, if you'd asked me at that point, man, I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's God. He's equal with the Father and the Son, spit out the definition of the Trinity. But as a 21-year-old college student, what, what I, I didn't realize and what I didn't know is that while I said I believed in the Holy Spirit, practically I, I didn't. And I was reading this book, and all it was was walking through what we had just walked through. Midway through the book, flight attendant came by and they gave something that I still don't know what it was. And I said, no thanks, I'll just keep reading my book. And at 30,000 feet over the country of Mali, I believe, I closed my eyes in a plane and I said, Holy Spirit of God, I have neglected you. I have not honored you as God. And no, I did not bust out in tongues in seat 32F. Nothing happened. No goosebumps, no chill up the spine, nothing. But deep down in my heart, I said, I want to honor you as God. I want to obey you as God. I want to worship you as God. When I think of God, I want Father, Son, and Spirit. Because you have been given to me to help me to do the will of God and to become like Jesus. Served for five weeks there. <laughs> we walked like eight to 10 miles a day sharing the gospel. Over the years, though, I've realized that in the midst of this sinful, imperfect person, me, there dwells the Holy Spirit who is steadfast committed to using me, to speak to me, to sanctify me, to make me like Jesus, and he will dig in until it's completed at the day of redemption. I want to get my roadblocks out of the way. We need that as individuals. We need that as a church. Maybe this morning, here's the prayer as a believer. I'm, I'm Luke at 30,000 feet. I don't think about the Spirit. I don't actively listen to His voice. When I think of God, I think of Father and Son. Maybe this morning, just confess that. He's like Christ. And His fruit is love and joy and peace. And you don't have to be ashamed of that. Talk to your God this morning. And ask him to make you more sensitive to the Spirit of God. Let's bow in prayer. A lot to take in, I know. The Word's good, though. One of the works of the Spirit is to convict us of sin, of righteousness and judgment, to point us to Christ. Maybe this morning, seeing these testimonies of baptism, you've never trusted Jesus, you've never believed the gospel, and your sin is before you. The Spirit of God is convicting you and calling you and drawing you, not to condemn you, but to point you to the one who took your place, the Lord Jesus. And even this morning, you can repent of your sins and believe the gospel 
and be made new by the Holy Spirit. I'll be down here at the front, standing on the front row. Justin will be here too. If you need someone to talk to you this morning, counsel with you about Christ, come talk to us. Maybe as a believer, you just need to sit there in God's presence. Just confess your neglect, confessing your great need for the Spirit of God to work in your life. I'm going to pray. We're going to stand. We're going to sing about the Father's love for us in Christ, Father's love for us in adoption. All of that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for Scripture. We ask that you would work in, your, in our hearts. Help us to be spirit people. Help us to be spirit church. Help us to be people that are sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Such a long way to go, Lord, but you're committed to us. We thank you and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.